You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hi, my name is Andrew Mills. Thanks for joining me for Corrective Exercise Next Level Integration. So a little bit about me and my background. I started a company called Chi Wellness back in 2013. And I've been in the training industry for a little over 10 years. Started out selling gym memberships, decided I wanted to be a trainer. And uh, started out with like the FNS and eventually got the CES and, and several specializations. In 2015, I got recognized by NASM as a master trainer. I uh, decided to go from there. It was time to get my master's degree. So I got my master's in exercise science with emphasis in rehabilitation. I also got a license for massage therapy. For me, that was very important because my knowledge of what I could and wanted to do was exceeding my scope of practice. So I decided to uh, get a massage license so I could be a little more hands-on with my clients. And then now I'm working through the doctoral program at Cal U uh, at health science and exercise leadership. And I'm enjoying that very much and should complete that sometime next year. But enough about me. Let's, let's talk about these integrations. So the agenda, the things that I want to go over today, there's a few foundational things I want to review. I want to talk about the human movement concepts. We want to talk about integrated dynamic movement and what integration really means, especially from a corrective standpoint. And then we want to discuss the four major subsystems, also known as slings. And then we'll get into the, the more advanced programming aspect of how do we uh, make our exercise selections and progress and regress through these these uh, subsystems or have these subsystems in mind as we're programming. So let's talk first about sensory motor integration. So when we're looking at sensory motor integration, we're really talking about how we take this internal and external feedback and what do we do with that information. So integrating both the external cues that we get from the trainer uh, as a client, uh, how we feel, uh, the sensitivity through our feet or getting from the floor, the, the forces, the dynamic forces, whether we're talking about the ground reaction forces or maybe the resistance that we're applying towards uh, gravity and the weight we're moving. And we're taking all of this information and we're producing a movement in response. And so a lot of what dictates these movements are length tension relationships. So we talk about overactive, underactive muscles, we talk about lengthened and shortened muscles. And when it comes to these length tension relationships, we're really referring to um, how much force can we produce depending on the state of that muscle, whether it's very long or, or shortened or somewhere in between. And so using the, the sarcomere length, the sarcomere filament theory, whenever our cross bridges or overlapping filaments 
become more strained, in other words, they're lengthened, we're not going to produce as much force. And similarly, when they're fully engaged or we have a high level of sublimation or tone, we're not going to produce as much force either. So whenever they're in that neutral state, that's where we're, that's where we're going to produce our most force. So, for instance, if any of you have done, let's say, a bicep curl and your arms fully extended, so we have full elbow extension, that curl is going to be far more difficult than if we start somewhere in a neutral position. So we want to keep that in mind posturally as we're performing different exercises based on what is in the best opportunity to produce force. In other words, if a muscle is very lengthened, it's not going to be optimally recruited. If a muscle is going to be extremely shortened, the nervous system may want to recruit it first because it's carrying the most tone. However, that doesn't mean it can produce much force either. So force-couple relationships refers to the muscles working together to produce movement. So, for instance, in my elbow, right, I have my biceps, which is going to create elbow flexion, and depending on my uh, length tension relationships will determine how much force I can do that. The force coupling is all the muscles working together around my elbow to create that movement. All the synergists and the stabilizers working together. And exactly what that might look like will vary depending on those length tension relationships and the feedback we're getting both internally and externally as we try to recruit specific muscles. So when we think of our human movement system, we're really looking at um, too far. We're really looking at the skeletal system. We're looking at our nervous system. We're looking at our muscular system, and to a larger extent, you know, as it becomes better understood, the endocrine system as well. And so, if in reference to the endocrine system, if there's not energy available to produce force, we're not going to. If from a muscular standpoint, we're having length tension relationship issues. That's going to change how, what we're recruiting. If the joint itself is altered in any way, that's going to change how we move. And then whether we're talking about neural fatigue or um, what we have strong neural connections with and that sensory motor feedback through our nervous system will determine what we recruit, how, when, and in what order to produce a movement. And so if we have altered sensory motor information, um, and I'll give you some examples as we go forward, then it's going to change the entire way we recruit our muscles and, and perform a motion. And it really comes back to our kinetic chain checkpoints again. Um, hopefully you, you're going to get beat over the head with kinetic chain checkpoints this entire conference because it is one of the most critical, critically, um, it's one of the most critical elements to the foundation of training. And if you don't know your kinetic chain checkpoints, then it, it becomes very difficult to implement some of these higher concepts. So for our kinetic chain checkpoints, just a quick review, we're going to start with our feet straight ahead. So we want them parallel. And when we're discussing parallel lines, we're really not talking about the inside of your foot, but we're looking at the front of your ankle. So if I'm going to make an ankle here, it's right here at the front in the middle, down through the second and third toe. So we want that to be parallel. Some of you may start to feel like your feet are a little feeling pigeon-toed, like that's not quite right. 
That's that altered sensory motor feedback we were talking about. If you have that altered feedback, everything inside you might want to say, no, my feet are crooked, so therefore we're going to turn them back out so they feel straight. And so when we have altered links, so if your lateral gastroc and your soleus is a little tight or, or a little overactive, when you go to straighten those feet out, they're going to let you know that they're getting pulled. And your nervous system says, that's not a neutral position now, so we want to turn our feet back out. And so that, that incongruence is part of what we want to resolve through corrective exercise because we want to reduce that, that, um, that faulty movement and, and faulty pattern and improve that so we once again return to an optimal pattern. So then we want to move from our ankles to our knees. So our knees, we wanted to keep them in line with the second, third toe. So you can kind of let them dip in, let them rotate out. And I apologize, you can't see my lower half in this, but I'm going to do my best to, to describe it. But feel free to get up and, and do this with me so that way you get the most out of it. But let your knees dip in, go out, and then settle them back in line with your second, third toe. And that's how we want those to track. So when you bend your ankle and your knee, it should stay tracking over that second and third toe. Then we want to look at our lumbopelvic hip complex. So I'm gonna step back just a little bit so you can see me a little bit better. I've got a belt on which makes it a little easier to see, but I want you to look at your pelvis as a bowl of water. And we don't want that bowl to spill forward and we don't want it to spill backwards. We want that neutral position where the water stays contained. So feet straight, knees in line over the second, third toe. We don't want to spill the water out of our pelvis. Then we're going to retract our shoulders drop them back into our back pockets and kind of squeeze. You could do kind of a, a row here to kind of squeeze between your shoulder blades, make sure you're not elevating your shoulders and then just relax a little bit. That's probably neutral for you. And then we're going to retract the head. If you feel like all of your weight is in the heels of your feet, just from your ankles, lean a little forward until your weight's evenly distributed across your whole foot. So this is a pretty good, starting place with all your checkpoints in line. Then we can take it a step further and talk about how in this position we have structural and functional efficiency. In other words, in a ba healthy balanced body with proper sensory motor feedback and proper um, link tension relationships, we should have equal weight distribution amongst all of our joints and Every muscle should be in somewhat of a neutral state, especially when we talk about the athletic position where we're kind of squatted down partially with our hands out and ready to go. All of our muscles are in a neutral state where they're most optimum to produce force. And since we like that position because of that reason of being able to produce force, it's also what we're going to reference as uh, our starting point for most exercises. So whenever we have our link tension relationships balanced and all of our joints are in a neutral position with those muscles in balance, then what's going to happen is when it comes time to move, we're going to have optimal force and we're going to have efficiency because the muscles are in the proper position to have proper force coupling responses and we're going to uh, have the least amount of wasted energy. So that takes us to our dynamic movement assessments. So when we're doing these assessments, we want to look over um, 
over the kinetic chain checkpoints. This isn't an assessment workshop, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because I want to get to the good stuff. But if you don't know your assessments, you're going to struggle to spot the compensations later on. So from a dynamic movement assessment standpoint, we've got like our overhead squat assessment, we've got our single leg squat assessment. And as we look at the results for that, we're going to have our list of overactive and our underactive muscles based on those compensations. And then we're going to use the corrective exercise continuum to address that. The inhibit portion is where we bring down the, the tone level, you know, the amount of uh, recruitment that's going on in a given muscle by using self-myofascial release, roller massage techniques to uh, reduce that nervous system activity. Then if that muscle is also shortened, in other words, we have a limited range of motion in a given joint, I'll go back to the bicep just because it's visible. If I go to extend my arm, but I can't all the way because my bicep's too shortened, then we may need to stretch that um, depending on the phase. In phase one, we would use uh, static stretching. So then after addressing, we've got our overactive muscles, then we've got our underactive muscles, then what we want to do is go back in and uh, take a look at our underactive muscles having addressed the overactive. And it looks like my battery's dying, so give me one second. There we go. Apologize for the interruption there. The battery cord came loose. So as we focus on these activation techniques, what we want to do is use positional isometrics, isolated strengthening techniques. So in the instance of, let's say, uh, we're having knees move in and we're wanting to make sure that it continues to track over the second and third toe, we may foam roll some of the overactive muscles. So we may foam roll, you know, the biceps with more short head, and we may foam roll the adductors, but we're also gonna need to activate some of those muscles. We may have to activate the glute medius for improved abduction. We're gonna have to activate the VMO during the thigh knee extension. So what we wanna do then after activating this process, well, now we have to integrate it. So Think about it this way, if, if a joint's lacking range of motion or we're seeing a compensation, we've got to reduce the, the tone or the energy that's going through one set of muscles, we've got to increase the tone or the energy or our ability to recruit that opposite set of muscles, because muscles are going to work in pairs, and then those pairs work together within groups. So that's where the integration comes in, we begin to address those groups. So in the instance of synergistic dominance, right, so the synergists begin to take over a movement and start dictating that movement, we've developed a habit. And if you join me for one of my other sessions, the Art of Microprogressions, we'll talk a little bit about this, but the idea is movement is a habit that is a accumulation of how we've been moving up to that point. So we take all that feedback, that internal feedback, that external feedback, and what we end up doing with that is moving the way we move based on our available range of motion, those link tension relationships, and the information that we're getting from our bodies. And then the rest has to do with lifestyle. You know, are we sitting? Are we standing? Are we doing repetitive motions, right? 
So all of that is going to affect the other, right? As we do certain repetitive motions, that's going to affect those link tension relationships and affect those, um, that feedback, and it's going to change how we perceive our own motion as we adapt to get better. So think of said principle, right? The, the principle of specificity. What we do is what we're going to get better at. And for most of my clients, by the time I've seen them or, or I begin to see them, they've been practicing and adapting these faulty patterns for a very long time. So they've gotten very good at them and they, they become a habit. So just because we begin balancing the tension patterns in their body and increase the tone so they have better control over the ones that haven't been doing their job, that does not mean that that habit of movement is being addressed, and that's where integration comes in. So when we're talking about integration, there, there's several key elements to this. So one is if you look at the corrective exercise continuum, when we work through the activation phase, we're really talking about movement around a single joint. But movement and we're alive, living, it's happening in multiple planes, it's happening through all of our joints all the time. Me just standing here, I'm using every joint in my body, and I'm resisting forces in every plane. So it's really how we're coordinating our lower body, our hip complex, as well as our upper body to both distribute the forces we uh, interact with, whether that's ground reaction force or a weight we may be resisting, as well as how we um, coordinate through gates to get from point A to point B. So integration is about increasing multiplanar neuromuscular control. So you know, I already mentioned how during this progression, you know, our bodies interact with all three planes of motion. Collectively through our joints, we're working through the sagittal plane, we're working through the frontal plane, and the transverse. Even right here talking to you, if I demonstrate this twist, I at some point have to stop this twist to go back the other direction. If I want to stand here and I'm going to throw my left arm out, I have to have muscles stabilizing me so my whole body doesn't twist whenever I only want to move my arm. So even though I might be moving my arms here in the frontal plane, I have to keep from falling forward or backwards during this. Therefore, I'm working in the sagittal plane, stabilizing these forces. So all of the planes, we tend to think of a specific exercise in a specific plane, but to some degree, while there may be more emphasis of a plane, we're interacting with all three planes all the time. Now, from a corrective standpoint, we're utilizing slow and focused movements for this integration. Think phase one variables at four, two, one tempo. And what we're really doing is we're putting emphasis on that eccentric phase, our ability to decelerate movements. Most injuries occur, non-contact injuries occur, in that deceleration phase when we're trying to stop our movement. So if you run, eventually you have to stop. And if you can't slow yourself down and stop efficiently, you're going to collide with something. Um, if you can't distribute the forces that you exert, then your body's going to not like that. And then we want to progress from stable to unstable. We talk about this extensively in the art of microprogressions, the, the other presentation I'm giving, but the idea is we go from stable to unstable. We may go from sagittal plane emphasis to transverse. And the idea is we're going from easier to more difficult as we progress through movement. As something's unstable, it means that we have to have, it's going to have greater proprioceptive demand. In other words, our internal feedback has to be more efficient. 
and it has to be more true to what's actually happening in our body. And if it's not, and we have to rely on too much external feedback, we may not be able to make those subtle adjustments in our posture to not lose balance or um, become injured or fall or whatever it is that we're interacting with. And then lastly, as we emphasize that eccentric deceleration, this is true for everything. Whether we're talking about a shoulder press, I eventually have to lower it back down. And it's great that we can push heavy weight. If I'm in a competition and I'm going to deadlift a certain amount of weight or I'm going to squat a certain amount of weight or I have to race to the other end of you know, a track, at some point I have to stop. And if you're producing more force than what you can slow down and stop, you're going to have poor consequences. And those non-contact injuries are typically what we're talking about. But it doesn't have to be a severe injury. We could just be talking about additional strain. And then lastly, we want to emphasize synergistic function. So synergistic function, again, is that going back to the coordination of lower body, the hip complex, and the upper body. So if all movement, you know, comes from the core, we want to make sure that we're our upper body and lower body are not just moving in sync with each other, but they're acting synergistically and not against each other. Um, and, and we'll talk about examples of how that happens in gait and um, other movement when we witness these compensations, exactly what's going on. So this is a pretty complex uh, topic. So before I dive into each of the subsystems, I, I just want to address that um, most of you, whether you realize it or not, are already implementing subsystem integration. If you're following the OPT model, you're following the exercise progressions, and you're getting your intensities dialed in, and you're just painting by numbers, following the book, you're already doing it whether you realize it or not. But when we're talking about taking our understanding of what we're doing to the next level, that's where these subsystems come in. And we, the better we understand them, the better we can articulate some of the issues that we may see in our client's movement patterns. So the deep longitudinal subsystem, think like the single leg balance. The deep longitudinal subsystem is responsible for transferring force from the ground up through um, into our back. So basically the muscles will go all the way through in a chain to distribute force from our feet up through our hips into our back. The posterior oblique subsystem is what helps keep us erect when we think of moving into that triple extension. It, you know, it's our glutes, it's our lats working together to stabilize the low back through that thoracolumbar tissue. The anterior is our external obliques and the adductors. So you can almost see the posterior anterior kind of working antagonistically with each other. And then we have the lateral subsystem. So if we bend side to side, that's our lateral subsystem working. So that's, again, adductors and obliques. So let's talk about the deep longitudinal subsystem specifically. So if you look at my slides, you can see, I, I'm going to try it, and especially because this is virtual, rather than just going on about the muscles, because you can reference this at your convenience, I'd rather talk about more of the actual movements. So when we do a movement, think like a knee extension. We can think of we're working our quads. 
but I really want to reframe the conversation to rather than just working our quads, we're actually working a specific movement. In other words, we're working on knee extension and we want to work on the quality of knee extension. So when we look at these subsystems, we're really talking about what muscles are involved with certain patterns of stabilization and movement and how they should be working together. And then where the muscles come in is if we see something that's not correct, then we can begin addressing it and we'll have some idea of what to look at from a muscular standpoint. But if you're doing your movement assessments, like I just said before we started this, if you're doing your movement assessments and you're going through the overactive, underactive, you're already addressing these. So this is about taking things that you're already doing and then taking a deeper understanding from an integration standpoint and then doing integration better. So the deep longitudinal subsystem, as you can see, it, it starts with the uh, anterior tibialis and peronis longus as it works to distribute forces up from the feet, up past the knee, where the biceps femoris can transfer up through to the pelvis, all the way up through the erector spinae um, and through that thoracolumbar fascia. The posterior oblique subsystem, this is our gluteus maximus, the SI joint, and lats. So one of the things that's important here is whenever we do a squat and we come up out of that squat, we move into triple extension, we're actually integrating both the posterior oblique subsystem and the deep longitudinal subsystem will work together. In other words, one is stabilizing the leg, transferring that force while our glute is producing the movements at the hips. And it crisscrosses. So the opposite lat works with your glute. So if it, we're talking about your left glute, it's your right lat that is engaging with it. And that creates a stabilizing of force across your lumbar spine. And we're going to go ahead and do some examples here once I get through of how these um, subsystems are interacting and why you would or would not be stable in certain postures. But whenever we think of a squat to row, for instance, if you're one of my favorite exercises when you're coming out of that squat and, and you're pressing through the floor, you have to have the stabilizing of forces through the deep longitudinal subsystem. Now we're engaging that um, posterior oblique subsystem both sides at the same time so we've got that crisscross the opposite lat with the glutes firing together to pull into that row and into triple extension through your hips knees and uh, ankles so it's it's great for addressing that then we move into the anterior oblique subsystem so the anterior oblique subsystem think of it as the opposite of the posterior oblique subsystem so if we're going into our squat, as we're eccentrically moving in, we're teaching our anterior oblique subsystem to engage while our posterior oblique subsystem is eccentrically stabilizing us on our way down. But then as we come back up into that squat to row, they swap roles. So then it's the anterior oblique subsystem that's decelerating that extension. And then the lateral subsystem, think of it as our side to side sway. So whenever we're doing a single leg balance, whenever we're um, squatting or lunging or doing any activity, it's our lateral subsystem that keeps us from leaning one way or the other. So what I really wanted to spend most of my time on is how do I identify these subsystems through motion? 
I've got a picture up here of a sprinter. And one of the, the most, I think, critical elements or um, think the most important thing to focus here, especially is in gait and through our exercises, we have these same patterns in all of the exercises that we do. So if we're looking at a squat, right, we have triple flexion on the eccentric phase. We have triple extension through the hips, knees, and ankles on the um, concentric phase. If we're stepping up, we're taking stairs, we're doing a lunge. If we're running, walking, if we're even just getting out of a chair, kicking, we're going to see this triple flexion, triple extension at play. So if you look at the runner in the picture, we have one leg moving into extension, and then we have the other leg moving into flexion. In other words, the hips bent, the knees bent, the ankles bent. But you can also see through the upper body, we have this rotation. And so that rotation then, I'm going to have everybody stand up and kind of join with me here because I want you to see this. Let's stand on one foot. So before we start, let's get our feet straight. And so we want those parallel lines across the top of our foot between the ankle and second, third toe. Then we're going to put our hands on our hips. We're going to make sure all our other checkpoints are good. Maybe start in this athletic ready position. And then what we're going to do is we're going to shift our foot to one side. And then we're going to lift the opposite foot off the floor. So we're doing a single leg balance effectively. Then what we're going to do, we've got our deep longitudinal subsystem at work now. What we're going to do is we're going to extend that into the anterior and posterior oblique subsystem. So you may not feel very sturdy here, but I want to put emphasis. We're going to draw our knee up into flexion. And I apologize that you can't see. I'll try and scoot back a little bit more. We're going to pull our knee up and uh, place our hip into flexion. We're going to turn our foot on that triple flexion in and into dorsiflexion. We're going to do a slight internal rotation of the hip. And then our torso, we're going to twist across and in. And you may find that some of the shakiness or some of the loss of balance is partially restored. So if you're standing here and we've got this position and somebody gives you a little shove, you can stabilize these forces much more effectively because all of our subsystems are working together synergistically. If you're standing here on one leg, you pick the leg up, but your knee goes out, that would be a compensation where we've lost our parallel lines, we've lost our equal joint distribution, and if somebody were to shove you, you're not as stable as you otherwise would be. So going back to this position, as I go into triple flexion, what's happening, I have my anterior oblique subsystem, my inner thigh, my obliques working together as I rotate in. As my shoulder comes back, I have my opposite lat and glute of the posterior oblique subsystem working together and stabilizing that spine. Then the deep longitudinal subsystems keeping me engaged with the floor. And then I have the lateral subsystem um, holding me stable so I don't lean one way or the other. So if we move on from that to the picture of Michael Jordan as he's dribbling a ball, you're going to see that same rotation as he's got the ball and he's ready to drive in for the next dribble and switch to the next gate stance. You see that same triple flexion, triple extension, rotation through the trunk, and you'll notice that there's not a lot of side-to-side -side sway. As we move to the last picture of the girl throwing a, a kick, we can see the same thing. If you look at the leg, her weight is on. 
she's tilted back on that leg so that glute and that lat is engaged and then as she extends her kick as her leg comes up to make that kick you can see the rotation of the external obliques and that um, adductor complex and then of course that's going to swap as she drives through the kick and then lands back on her foot or retracts it so some of the basic acute programming variables from an integration standpoint is a frequency of three to five days a week we're going to do one to three sets uh, 10 to 15 repetitions really just kind of think phase one when you wrap your mind around it as far as the duration of rep and the tempos and as far as precautions it really comes down to as we integrate movement we have to stay within their ability and while there are certain uh, neuromuscular disorders and special populations that are going to have their own contraindications that we need to be aware of and you can look at the slide for more information on that but really it comes back to the art of microprogressions as we are doing these integrations we want to make sure that the quality of work that we're putting in this input is good because we're going to get adaptations and we want the outcome of those changes of that stimulus and adaptation to be um, quality movement on the other side so it's really about finding what progression regression do we need to make to make sure we're continually producing quality movement as we are um, challenging their ability to integrate all of this um, stimulus. So beginning again with that athletic unit or that universal athletic position uh, also known as the universal ready position. What's nice about that a quick review is equal joint distribution all the joints are in a neutral state link tension relationship should be fairly balanced and so we're able to progress from there. Then we want to look at it from a standpoint of stable to unstable, easy to more complex. So for instance, um, we have ball squats to step ups. The difference being a ball squat is going to be a lot more stable than a step up. One, if you're looking at a ball squat, notice how in a squat, as you come down, you have both oblique subsystems or both halves of the oblique subsystem working together and then both working together concentrically, then eccentrically, then concentrically, then eccentrically, and the same for the anterior oblique subsystem. But whenever you move to a step up, well, now they have to alter. You have each half working together with the other and an alternating pattern like in a gait or a run. And the same goes for lunges. The difference between a step up and a lunge is you may have greater recruitment of that lateral subsystem as you try to stay balanced. And then, of course, we have the single leg squats. And the single leg squats being the more difficult because instead of two points of contact with the ground, you only have one, and that's going to challenge that deep longitudinal subsystem to a, a much higher degree. And again, all of those subsystems are going to have to work together to keep you stable. So in terms of reactivity, we really want to take a look at, from a single leg squat standpoint, we might look at it from a single leg squat assessment standpoint. The research shows that this assessment does um, really reflect the injury risk factors associated with landing mechanics. So whenever we do like a single leg drop down test to see what kind of compensations we see, if we're resisting ground reaction forces and gravity and we're seeing compensations during a single leg squat, 
we're definitely going to have those same compensations to a greater degree, most likely, whenever those forces are increased due to a, a landing from a jump. So our ability to take in that stimulus and react and distribute that forces um, is an important part of integration. And so we want to make sure reactive training um, finds a home there and we don't skip that. But that does not mean everybody should be starting out with reactive training. Sometimes they need a, a certain foundation of control and stability before adding that in. Again, if they can't do it without impact, we don't want to add impact as a stressor. That would be a progression. So we want to make sure we progress properly to that point before throwing it in. And then we want to progress from single plane to multiplanar. So we talked about how all of these functions we're, we're interacting with all three planes all the time, but that doesn't mean we're not putting more emphasis on one plane than another. For instance, um, if we're doing a single leg balance exercise, we may be using our subsystems to stabilize us. So if hands are on our hips and our foot, we're standing on one leg and the other foot off the ground and we reach forward with our uh, elevated foot and then reach back, because we're working in the sagittal plane, we're going to challenge our ability to stabilize in the sagittal plane. So the deep longitudinal subsystem is working, but so is the posterior and anterior oblique subsystems having to work together to reduce that forward-back motion. And then as soon as we reach out to the side and the transverse plane, you can see if I can reach too far, I lean to one side, that's my lateral subsystem losing its ability to stabilize me. So lateral subsystem in the frontal plane, and then if I do a rotation and reach, now I'm challenging all those subsystems to protect me in the frontal and with greater degree emphasis on the transverse plane. So a sample program uh, for integration may be squat to cable row. So if I'm doing a squat to cable row, notice how that is both halves of the oblique subsystem firing together and then antagonistically the anterior oblique subsystem is firing together and then we have the lateral subsystem just stabilizing and the deep longitudinal subsystem just stabilizing as we have stable contact with the floor through both feet but as we step it up let's say we move that to a step up to balance with contralateral overhead dumbbell press the reason why i chose the contralateral opposed to a two-armed is because not only do we have the the anterior oblique subsystem now alternating control in each half of the body, right? Because we have this twist that we would see in a gait or a sprint or a lunge. So not only are we beginning to practice that, but now we're also have to control our, um, our lateral subsystem as well as that dumbbell may want to pull us one way or the other. Another sample of the way we could program this would be a lateral tube walk. So we've got the tube, uh, either whether it's just above the knees or down by the ankles. We're in this universal ready position, and then we're walking from side to side. So this is a frontal plane stabilization. Some of you may have seen compensations where they go to step, and we see this kind of tilt and lean that had been a failure in the lateral subsystem. Then we can progress from there to a single leg contralateral cable row. So think of standing on one foot, we've got a small degree of triple extension, triple flexion, both subsystems, anterior and posterior, are working together. Then I have my contralateral row. 
So whichever side I'm rowing with, if it's my opposite stance leg, then that subsystem, we're emphasizing that posterior oblique subsystem to work together. I usually encourage my clients at this point during this exercise to actually move into that triple flexion on the other side as well and get this rotation. And they're amazed at the level of stability they have, even though the movement is substantially more complex. And I get seniors who have had histories of knee replacements and other issues. And if you start them at their foundation, properly progress them, they can be doing anything. I've got clients that you'd never even guess that they had any replacement because they're able to run and do things and they're in their 60s. But it, again, we didn't jump ahead. We didn't ignore potential issues. We, had, we went through the corrective process. We took physician's guidance where it was necessary. And then what we did is we integrated along the way with those micro progressions up until they were able to integrate the stress of running or jogging, lunging, and it became the end result of all those series of adaptations that we made. So once you get through just the standard integration exercises with these total body movements, some are going to be on one leg, some are going to be on two, so we go again from stable to unstable. We might end up having the alternating arms of the progression continuum as we challenge our bodies to move in all three planes of motions, constantly coordinating these subsystems and the upper lower body as we move along. Reactive training is a, a bit of a challenge only because the forces are begin to increase dramatically. And then in addition to that, things are happening faster. So it's a little harder to cue. But as long as they're prepared for it, you're going to find that the, the transition is fairly seamless. And if you're looking at the OPT model and that continuum where you have your flexibility care, then you have your core, your balance, and then your plyometric or reactive training, this is where that gets plugged in. Now what you can do is put emphasis on our ability to decelerate greater amounts of force and practice those landing mechanics. So. Uh, we want to consider the plane of motion and the range of motion as variables. So if we're doing tuck jumps or um, drop down, you know, jump down to stabilization, whatever it is, we also want to think of our range of our planes of motion as part of that continuum. So we may stay in place, we may move forward, we may twist to one side or jump to the side to challenge our ability to maintain these parallel lines, that equal joint distribution, those neutral postures as we move in and out of movement uh, through these different planes of motion. And then we want to make sure that we're always progressing from easier to harder, simple to more complex, something they know to something they don't know, uh, and, and then stable to unstable, of course. And if they can't do something with body weight, they certainly are not ready for it to be loaded. So from a corrective standpoint, uh, body weight sometimes is the perfect place to start. So after you have your optional uh, reactive training, if that's something your client is ready for, then you have the optional speed agility quickness. And this really, I was referencing, you know, some of my clients that I get running again, it's really through the speed agility quickness portion of integration that really, I guess, is the cherry on top or the icing on the cake. It, it's, it's where all the magic happens. So if you think of all the rest as super foundational, 
Well, now as we integrate speed, agility, and quickness, this is where it starts to translate through transition of movements, where we go from one point A to point B, opposed to just standing in one place doing exercises. So it's far more dynamic. So as a beginner, and I'll have people doing speed agility quickness training, you know, even if um, they're very new, and sometimes I'll have them do speed agility quickness training before even doing reactive training, because the beginner level is emphasis on proper movement skill, which they may even need to improve their ability to react. So in the beginning of speed agility quickness training, we're looking at the speed as far as linear acceleration. I'm not concerned about acceleration. I'm looking at how well do they decelerate and what do those movements look like? Are those subsystems being properly integrated? Am I seeing that transfer of force as the anterior oblique and posterior oblique are transitioning? Am I noticing that when they walk and they go to take a step, are they leaning to one side? Am I witnessing dysfunction in the lateral subsystem? And as I'm going through the rest of my continuum, of inhibit, lengthen, and activate, this should, with cueing over time, become less and less until they have proper control of that. Then as they have proper control of it, you can increase the intensity of that deceleration. You can change the plane of motion. Now instead of just coming to a stop, can they come to a stop and then change directions and still have proper sequencing or coordination that synergistic function through those subsystems. And then you can focus on the intermediate level of how quickly can they do it, and then the more reaction-based where the movements even become um, unpredictable. So we always want to begin with assessment. And if you're properly assessing, and I said this at the beginning, we'll say it again, if you're properly assessing, and you're following the corrective exercise continuum, and you're sticking to the OPT model, whether you you realize it or not, you're already addressing the subsystems. So if you're skipping your assessments, then you're like a table without legs. It's not going to work very well. You need to make sure you, you do not miss this assessment process. Additionally, if you're having a hard time assessing and you're not practicing that, you're going to have a more difficult time spotting these compensations in the subsystems later on. And so you also want to make sure that as you're working as a corrective exercise specialist and you're utilizing these corrective protocols, you have to see the entire continuum through. If you're only doing the inhibit lengthen part and you never do the activation, you could be setting your client up for failure. And the reason for this is it's a little counterintuitive, but many times we have to ask ourselves, why is something tight? And a lot of times what might make something tight in their current state also makes them more stable. And so if you take away what's tight and is adding what little stability they may have without adding a replacement to build that stability back up, you could be sending them into the rest of their workout less stable or into their day less stable. And we definitely don't want to do that. And so also important that we stay within scope of practice. So, you know, I mentioned like, knee replacements and things like that. Um, you know, we don't want to use these to diagnose medical issues or tears or anything like that. And we definitely want to stay within the guidelines presented by our physicians and orthopedists and PTs that are guiding us with these uh, individuals. 
and, and just don't be afraid to refer out when you have questions. If somebody's experiencing pain during these activities, we should not be doing them. And if they have persistent pain, they definitely need to be referred out uh, so they can get the care they need. But before I totally end this, I want to spend some time just talking about practical application. So if I'm walking and I see my client and they're walking towards me and I notice that when they take a step with their right leg, they open up. So I want to just think for a moment what might be going on there. So I'm in this gate. What should happen, almost like, a, almost like Sasquatch, right? I should be rotating. My anterior oblique subsystem is working here. My posterior oblique system is working in the back. And then they alternate. And then my lateral subsystem is keeping me upright and stable. But what happens if when I go to step, instead my hips open up and I lean to one side? So when we're thinking about subsystem dysfunction, these are the types of things that we're looking for. In other words, we should have triple flexion, triple extension. We should stay neutral. If I'm leaning to one side, it's because my body all the way through my leg is angled that side. Maybe it's a cutting maneuver and I'm changing directions. But if I'm going to cut left and I'm angled, except my body is leaning this way with my bottom leg going this way, well, that's a problem. And so when we see dysfunction within these subsystems, even if under normal assessment conditions, they're passing. It's a clear sign that under the stress levels during performance or movement or practicing certain patterns, they haven't developed the right habits to sustain that movement. And so remember, integration is really about addressing habits and the coordination. And so if we see this type of thing happen, their lateral subsystem is not stabilizing them, half their anterior oblique subsystem is not working, and so we need to begin addressing these things. So again, if you're following the kinetic chain checkpoints and you're watching these things along the way, you're properly progressing and regressing, and you're following your corrective exercise continuum, most of this is inherent. So don't stress if this is a bit overwhelming because you're already doing it. It's more about just getting more articulate and mastering you know, the elements at play here and what you're seeing. So assessment really goes beyond just what you see during the overhead squat assessment and the single joint motions, but how are they moving through life during a sprint when they go to decelerate and change directions? For a lot of my seniors that lose balance and their fall risks, addressing these issues is really important because if they go to step, and you can do this with me, if you go to take your right step, but let's say we have a uh, disconnect here and our control of our anterior oblique subsystem, and so instead of closing in, which if you step with your right leg and you cross, you're going to feel very stable. But if you open up when you do it, you're not going to feel stable. And for them, if you've got momentum going this way, no base of support, this is where seniors tend to fall or people with balance issues tend to fall. So improving balance and reducing fall risks just by addressing some of these um, subsystems and the way they function coordinate with each other will go a long way to keep your athletes and your clients safe. And the other thing I would like to add is you can begin addressing these things without doing weight training. I know especially as you dive more into correctives, you tend to get special populations, they have certain medical issues, sometimes they're at the early stages of recovery from a surgery or some kind of treatment, or maybe they're just been that sedentary and they're just that deconditioned that they need to be built back up 
These are all things that you could be working on with light resistance, like using bands and body weight without even having to pick up a weight. So sometimes when they're not ready for resistance training and because they lack such a degree of foundation, this is the perfect thing to begin addressing. And then whenever you are ready for that resistance with them, they're that much more stable going into it and they're going to progress that much better. So I, I hope that um, you found this enlightening without it being too overwhelming and just rest assured that you're already doing it. It's just that as long as, long as you're following the protocols, you're already doing it. But as you wrestle with this information over time, it took me years to understand the, the subsystems and I'm still growing with it. So, you know, take time with it. Don't get frustrated. So this is something that I'm fairly passionate about. I use corrective exercise with um, just about everything I do is corrective in nature at this point. That's what I've developed a reputation for and um, it's what I enjoy. I work with a team of trainers and one of my favorite things, especially with my massage therapy background, is I like addressing these overactive, underactive tissues. I get my clients foam rolling, make sure that even though I'm a massage therapist, I actually have them do most of the foam rolling and stretching themselves rather than work on them for them. In the beginning, they may need that, and it's nice to be able to do that. But um, whenever there's no contraindications for using a roller massage techniques, but we want our clients to feel empowered, so we want them doing that. And you know, the where I have the most fun is once they're beyond that stage and the magic begins to happen when we're integrating, when they're starting to learn about movement. Clients will say things like, my whole life, I never even knew how to walk. And I'm relearning. I'm 65, and I'm learning how to walk again. And these are common statements you're going to get. And as long as you approach it in the right way and, and emphasize how we're supposed to move versus where they're at, many of them will say, I finally have answers to some of the things I've struggled with. Now I know why my back's so unstable. Now I know why I, you know, I stumble sometimes when I miss a step. Now I know why. You know, I walk like a penguin. Now I know why, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, demonstrating this type of stuff and going through the integrations both breaks up some of the monotony sometimes of just picking up weights and putting them down, but it also teaches a foundation of movement that applies to everything they do in life. And with many clients just saying, I want to move better and I want to be able to do the things that I enjoy without getting hurt, and I want to be able to do so sustainably without, you know, laying in bed for a week, but they're not quite ready for weightlifting. Address these subsystems and it's like magic. If you have an athlete who's crushing the gym and they pass all the performance tests, guaranteed you get them out there in stressful conditions, you have them doing their speed agility quickness training, there will be a point, whether it's due to fatigue, whether it's due to stress, whether it's due to intensity, so psychological stress versus intensity, then you're going to see a point where these subsystems start to coordinate more poorly, and there's your opportunity to enhance that, whether it's through cueing or just, again, continuing to stimulate through our programming to get the adaptations that we want. So if you have any questions about this, you want to talk about it a little bit further, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at andrew.mills at nasm.org or my company email is andrew at achievewellnessstl.com and I'd be happy to chat with you. Um, I spend a lot of time mentoring fitness professionals, so 
I, I try to make myself as available as possible. And I hope you enjoyed my session. Thanks again for choosing mine over all the, the great sessions that were available to you. And hopefully I'll get to see you in person next Optima.